entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. And a special welcome to my guest host, Jay Kelly Hoey. Along with Kelly and our executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Jay Kelly Hoey and I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders. And we are all leaders at some point, so you can then inspire others. You can find out more about J. Kelly Hoey at jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey.co. And you can find Kelly on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. You can find The Business Builder Show and many other fine shows on C-Suite Radio. That's at www.c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Okay, Kelly, let's get going. Thanks, Marty. This is Kelly Hoey, guest host of the Business Builder Show, and I am absolutely thrilled today to have as our guest my friend, Ginny Gilder. Hey, Ginny. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for inviting me. It's so good to talk to you again. All right. For people who don't know you, you're an Olympian. You're the owner uh, or part owner of, of a sports team, the Seattle Storm. You're an author, a Yale graduate. Did you ever imagine you'd have the career path you've had? Okay. So the answer to that question is so simple. No. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking when you went off to Yale? What did you, what did you think you were going to be doing with your life? Well, remember when I started in college, I hadn't even um, learned how to row yet. I hadn't even become an athlete. So when I was thinking, what I was thinking when I started college was how am I going to survive four years at an Ivy league institution with all these people who are much smarter than I am? Oh, my God. And then life just unfolded. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's go back to Yale. Um, And because that making the varsity rowing team is is so pivotal in your story and you outline it in your book, Course Correction. Okay, let's let's for people who are listening. All right. You're five, seven. You've got asthma. Not exactly the assets for a rowing team. How did you overcome the odds? You know, I, I think I was a little too ignorant Uh, to realize how high the odds were. When I was a freshman, my asthma wasn't really problematic. By the time I got into my sophomore year, I really started getting sick a lot. And I, my approach was, oh, I'll just ignore it. But luckily there was a very skilled nurse who worked with all the athletes who said to me, you're either going to deal with this or you're not going to be rowing. So she made me grow up and she helped an enormous amount and got me on a medical protocol that really lasted through my entire career. But I think um, I'm just really, really good at ignoring the world's input when it's not what I want to hear. Oh, I, I love that because you had a coach who sort of looked at you and said, yeah, five, seven, this is not happening. You're not you're, you're not like team material. Exactly. And I, I just felt so hard for rowing. I loved it so much. It was so different from anything I'd ever done. 
I was entranced by it and I just wanted to keep going. And I think that's a really important part of life that people might not really think about, especially when you're younger, is how important it is to do what you love. And I'm not saying to ignore reality. I mean, at some point, reality would have won over if I hadn't made an Olympic team, right? But you really should listen to yourself because doing something that is boring or feels tedious, it, you know, life can be long enough that that can really suck. Oh, it could just completely, completely drag you down. Um, I want to go back because, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the interviews I've heard you talk about, um, that it's kind of nice that younger women, younger women athletes in particular today get to take things for granted. And God bless, you know, the men have been able to do that for years. But for those who don't know the story, can you talk about the Yale rowing team and the legendary naked protest? So this was, I started rowing in 1975. Title IX had been passed a few years earlier. Most of the Ivy League schools had gone co-ed in the late 60s and hadn't really thought about athletics for the women students that they were admitting. When I started rowing, the Yale women's crew had uh, just really been made a varsity sport, I think, a year and a half earlier. So we would um, practice at the boathouse, which was lovely. The only problem was it was 12 miles away from campus and there were no locker room facilities for the women. So that meant the men would get, we'd all get off the water at the same time late in the afternoon and the men would go shower and the women would go sit on the bus wet and cold. We would then drive back the 12 miles, which took about 25 minutes. There was only one dining hall open, so we all had to go directly to dinner. So the women were sitting in wet clothes for you know, three hours after practice. And we had a couple of women who were training for the 1976 Olympic team who were on our squad who realized this was not going to fly when we all got back on the water in early February of 76. It was an Olympic year. It was the first time women we're going to be allowed to row in the Olympics, thanks to the Canadians who brought in women's <laughs> rowing. And Chris Ernst, who was our captain, basically cooked up this, uh, let's say, alert to the athletic department, which was aware of the lack of facilities. But she and Ann Warner, who was the other woman training for the Olympics, decided that we were going to do a protest Um, a naked protest in front of the head of women's athletics, a woman named Joni Barnett, uh, to really emphasize the problem. So she wrote a manifesto and 19 women of the women's of the crew got together one morning. It was early March, wrote Title IX on our backs in Yale blue ink, covered ourselves up with our very fancy team issue sweats, you know, cotton sweats of the era and marched (laughs) into this woman's office And, well, there was a stringer from the New York Times, a photographer from the Yale Daily News. Uh, Joni Barnett was extremely surprised. And the story went out, first page of the second section in the New York Times the next day, AP Wire. It went about as viral as you could in the pre-internet days. And the university was shamed and ended up building addition to the boathouse. Well, you know, an adulterated uh, victory. Oh, it's it's like it still makes me so emotional. But you still think you made the comment about the Internet. We all these years later, uh, we still sometimes have to shame people to get them to make make and affect these changes. But 
you know, I, I thank you and your team for doing that because, like you've said, uh, uh, other women now can take these. You know, I'm going to say the facilities at the boathouse or the equivalent when they're athletes, they can take it for granted. But it sure as heck wasn't the wasn't the case back in 1976. You've made two Olympic teams. Um, amazing. Um, but focusing on 1980 for a moment, um, talk about coming back from disappointment because you really did think your Olympic career was over um, because of the U.S. not participating in that Olympic Games. So the first thing I should say is that I thought my Olympic career was over before it began because I didn't make the 1980 Olympic team. I mean, I it's not like I had ever been on a national team. I started trying out for national teams in 1977, 1977, 1978, 1979. I got cut every year. So it wasn't like I was a shoo-in for the games. Um, so the first issue was or was I going to keep training for something that wasn't going to happen? And again, I was just so driven. I was so determined when the U.S. Olympic Committee announced that they were going to name Olympic teams for every sport. I was, well, that was enough for me. I was going to keep training. And I was lucky because several of my uh, national champion teammates um, from my Yale team were also training. I was one of five women, which wow. was a huge number, who was training at Yale. Um, so that really helped. Um, and then once I made the team and hit the boycott, kind of the true impact, the um, the truth is that for me in 1980, making the team was such an accomplishment. I wasn't, it's not that I didn't want to compete, but that was, I can't say it was a lifelong dream because I had started rowing, right, <laughs> five years earlier. But it was that impossible dream and it meant so much to make the team. Once I incorporated that kind of into my state of being, if you will, and my new reality, I started to become a lot more aware of kind of the political implications of wanting to do something that the country was fundamentally against. And it was quite uncomfortable because we had all worked so hard for this and we really were sacrificial lambs. We had no choice over this. People had worked years to make the Olympic team. And I was lucky because I got to try out again, but there were many athletes. 1980 was their one and only shot. So I felt a little bit like a traitor for wanting to go and being a little, you know, being unhappy that we weren't getting to go. And I also felt that I loved being an American. And if this was the sacrifice I was going to have to make, I wasn't ever going to go to war. I would have to buck up and do it and recognize that was, you know, this was part of part of the deal. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So 1984, you, you, you continued to train, uh, you made the team, um, but there was some disappointment with that one. Um, what's, what's the, what's, what's the, you know, we talk about people pursuing their passion and doing something that they really, you know, have their heart, their soul in, but what's the downside of doing that? You know, the downside, I guess, is the lows are low. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know. The, the problem with committing is you end up really caring. So it's not like, oh, I stubbed my toe. It'll, you know, it'll stop hurting in five minutes. If you don't accomplish whatever it is you have in your sights and it's big and you've worked at it for a long time, it can feel pretty devastating when it doesn't happen. You know, for me, though, I'm kind of like, I am a no guts, no glory kind of person. 
even today, a lot, you know, much further down my road. I would much rather go big or go home. You know, it's just... (laughs) I'm I'm laughing because I've I've seen the interview you you know cycling around uh, what is that 110 mile crazy oh, yeah. cycle race I'm like of course you're you know all in on this stuff so I think you know really you have to decide what kind of life you want and you have to decide what kind of risk you're willing to take and there are a lot of different kinds of risk there's intellectual risk there's physical risk there's emotional risk there's financial risk and I think every person if they really kind of want to have some say in directing their future has to have an honest conversation with themselves about what their appetite is. And as it turned out, I have a pretty big appetite, actually not for financial risk, but for emotional and intellectual risk. And to a certain extent, relationship risk, because I'm willing to team up with people to try to make big things happen. I love doing that and to do the work to make relationships work. I say you learn learn a lot in that uh, rowing shell, don't you? Um, in terms of uh, you know everything you're talking about, uh, my guest today or our guest today on the Business Builder Show is Ginny Gilder. Ginny, where can people find you? Well, usually in Seattle. You can come to a Seattle Storm game. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a there's a good plug. Get your season's tickets. Get a Seattle. Yeah, say you heard it on the Business Builder Show. Find Ginny. <laughs> Right. You know, we're we just won the uh, championship for the third and second time since I've been one of the owners of the team. But, yeah, I have JinnyGilder.com. You can always check out the Storm website. I tend to run under the radar. Kelly, I get to talk to you, which I love. Um, But I'm not out there doing a lot in the public eye. I tend to do much, much more in my own backyard. I raise a lot of hell in Seattle. There's no question. Awesome. Um, So you got to meet Ginny. You got to get a a Seattle Storm game or you got to get on a bike and you got to be in Seattle. I I love every every part of that. Um, Well, let's... um, Just before we jump into talking about the Seattle storm, because I really do want to talk about that, I just want to kind of go sort of keep our foot in, in, I want to say, Yale and Olympics. Um, How has your athletic experience influenced you as a business leader? So everything good about me, I blame on sports. Um, But I will tell you that it took decades for some of the lessons to to actually land. It's not like I finished, got my Olympic medal and tromped into the, you know, into the executive office and knew exactly how to act in the world. I really didn't. It took a while to figure things out. Um, But first of all, people give up way too soon. That's probably one of the biggest is don't ever give up. Like, don't give up. That's um, and it doesn't mean necessarily that if you're trying to open the door that you won't end up going through the window and your path might change some and you might realize that one goal is not exactly realistic, but inevitably something else becomes possible because of your persistence, because of your dedication to an idea or some dream. That's one of the big ones. The other one for me, which it really, I started to learn it in college and through rowing, but it really happened. It took so long is the importance of relationship and the importance. And I'm not talking most intimate, although, of course, that's important. I'm talking about whatever endeavor you set your sights on accomplishing, whether it's in sports, whether it's in business, whether it's in art, um, is being able to work with whoever is going to support you in accomplishing that goal and 
figuring out how to deal with the tough stuff because it's easy to get along with anybody when life is good. It's when the shit hits the fan that you need to be able to talk directly to someone in a respectful way, figure out how to get things back on track. And for me, that's invaluable. I'd say those are probably the two biggest things. Uh, That's phenomenal. As I like to say, no one ever goes it alone. Um, You know, you think about your own career, you know, even if you said, well, I was, you know, rowing by myself in a, you know, single skull, you still had a nurse at some point who, you know, helped you with your health and a coach and all that other kind of stuff. And people tend to forget that at times. Um, Marty, you're being really quiet there in the background as usual. I know, I know you're madly taking notes, but... Uh... Uh, I am, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a magical discussion. Um, and I, I'm a former basketball player, uh, nowhere near the level we're talking about, but the whole idea of the uh, Seattle storm and how you got there, um, you're a rower. What does that have to do with basketball? Uh, well, it's a sport. Okay, <laughs> I got it. Okay, good answer. So so here's the backstory. Um, It was 2007. I had started an investment business uh, to, uh, in a, you know, which is a very male dominated field. I was traveling all over the country. I wasn't home a lot. And I was noticing that I didn't have a lot of women in my life. And I really felt disconnected from my community. So that was going, what was going on with me in my own head. Uh, the Seattle Sonics were, and the Storm were sold by a local Seattleite to a guy, Clay Bennett, in Oklahoma, who planned to move the team. And I had a friend who I had been on the board of a school with who was an avid basketball fan. And I, I, I did go to Storm games. I was a season ticket holder. And I saw her at a game and I said, are, are you planning on trying to do anything to keep the Storm here? And she said she, you know, she, was, she was thinking about it. And I, I told her then, you know, if you, if you need any help, let me know. And she called a couple of weeks later. And, and so that was my kind of backstory there. But mm. what I say about owning a sports team is it's the intersection, at least a stor- uh, WNBA team, of sports, business, and the move for social justice. So mm. I live on that corner. I love that corner. Mm. And it was... Uh, Owning the storm was going to, I felt, would provide me with an opportunity to connect with more women. My two co-owners are women. It's obviously a franchise focused on women. Um, Gave me a chance to work in the business world, which I find fascinating. And then gave me a chance to continue that push for equity, which started when I was a freshman at Yale. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, Jean, talk about that third piece in terms of um, social justice. Talk more about that. You know, I'm really all about access to opportunity. So the WNBA is, I think it's maybe 22 years old. Maybe it's starting its 23rd season this coming year. And that is a blink of an eye in terms of major league sports franchises. It's the it is probably the most successful sports franchise, sports league for women in the United States. And it is just still you look at the salary gap, you look at the interest, you look at how the media portrays and how much time the media spends on showing women's sports, and you see the inequity. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a long road. 
So I want to do my part. I, if, you know, rowing is never going to be a professional sport for many reasons and probably all of them good, but women's, you know, basketball is actually an interesting sport to watch. And really tell me why women should not have the same opportunities to pursue things they love um, and for pay. T- tell me why. <laughs> There's going to be a big silence. I'm not going to be able to come up with an answer to that one. Uh, I'll, I'll just take a shot. And it's just the general, I'll just call it our general culture. Um, exactly. That has to change. And, and you're leading it. Uh, you're one of the leaders. And, and so I have a question to follow up on that is, so how, in addition to the relationships you just described with the, with the uh, basketball team, how else are you sharing the lessons that you've learned uh, with other women or business people? What else are you doing? How, how else are you involved in sharing the lessons you have learned? Well, I would say a couple ways. First of all, you know, just um, we are looking at all the ways we can expand our storm business, expand and ex- uh, on our brand and extend it. And we think a lot about how can we uh, provide support for women who seek leadership opportunities. So we're thinking about, is there a business opportunity there? Um, second of all, I personally, I feel like the universe kicked my butt so hard for so many years. It took me into my mid fifties and it's true. I'm 60. Okay. I'm old. Um, it really took me until like the last five years when I finally felt like, Oh, I understand all the lessons the universe was trying to Mm. get me to learn. Mm. So now I'm working on how do I put those lessons together in a way that is not just palatable, but interesting to people, say, age 25 to 40, um, so that maybe they can sidestep some of the mistakes I made in getting to the lessons. Mm. And I'm, I'm working with my daughter on this, actually, who's 26. We've created a little s- seminar series that's helping me put together my thoughts for my next book. I'm going to say a braver soul than I already venturing down that even the thoughts of the next book. I mean, I personally, I can't wait for that one because I love that whole idea of, you know, how can you show people, hey, here's here's my aha moment at at I'm 53. So, you know, 53, 60, whatever age. And, you know, here here, ladies, here's how you can fast track some of the, you know, the setbacks or the mindset or, you know, the other crap that might be holding us back. And I would say, Kelly, um, really what the big uh, push in the book is, is engage in self-reflection. It's so tempting to let the external world and your pursuit of certain goals take you over. But developing your own awareness of the world and your awareness of your biases and how you see, you know, what's going on, how you evaluate problems and relationships is probably the most important thing you can do to really gain some freedom to choose your life course. So we're talking about your future book, but let's uh, focus on what's already out there. Uh, Let's make sure that everybody knows that uh, what's available now, because you said before we, um, you know, came on live that uh, it's a, it's a great story that connects to what we're talking about today. What is the, uh, give me the title of the book again. It's course correction. Is that correct? That's right. It's uh, an oh gosh, what is the uh, subtitle? <laughs> <laughs> Things that's we okay. forget as authors. Let's just stick with course correction. Course Let me correction. That's in the show notes. That bold link to that. Um, really, course correction is a memoir that you know. It's a coming of age story 
that starts with my quest to really starts with my falling in love with rowing the first time I saw a rowing shell and takes me to age 40 uh, and basically intertwines my athletic pursuits with my own search for like, who am I and what, what, you know, how am I going to be in the world? So it's a lot about family and love as well. I won't do any spoilers here. Um, but it goes pretty deep into what it's like to learn to row, not from a real technical place. I'd like to think that it's a more literary book than a, you know, than a step-by-step book. But if you're, you know, for people who are interested in the history of women's rowing or sports, if they're interested in one person's very personal story of what it took to become an Olympian, they're just interested in human interest stories, right? Those are all reasons to read it. And and as you pointed out earlier, people give up too soon. And your, I mean, your persistence um, or, you know, flat out stubbornness to not um, let those kind of hurdles. And I think that, you know, for people who are like, you know, what what is what is their inner strength? What is it that is going to keep them going when, you know, you're sitting on a bus freezing cold and, you know, have a 12 mile ride. Um, you know, what are you going to do because you love it so much and your, your book is extraordinary, it's extraordinary in all of that. Uh, Ginny, I am indebted as always, um, for your insights and it is always such a pleasure to chat with you. Promise you'll come back and, uh, share with us this next book and project. Um, maybe we'll even get your daughter on with you and, uh, have a, uh, wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you. you as well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Always love connecting with you, Kelly. Thanks, J. Kelly Hoey, for being our guest host on the Business Builders Show. You can learn more about Kelly at jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey, H-O-E-Y dot C-O. And, of course, you can learn more about me, Marty Wolf, and the Business Builders Show at martywolfbusinesssolutions.com. That's martywolfbusinesssolutions.com. Remember, you can get all our shows and many other great shows at c-suiteradio.com. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf. As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio show, we've got an unbelievable offer for you. Listeners to the Business Builders Show get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You'll have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash csr